Well, we're going to continue this morning with our series on the parables. And we've been learning from these parables of Jesus, and they give us insight into our lives. They really do. What is not seen, as we talked about last week, becomes seen. The spiritual truth, the kingdom truth of Jesus' word is brought to life and revealed to us. These biblical realities, they, they really do change us when we understand them. And God has compelled the people to learn, to grow, and to change. And for me, doing this series on the parables has been a lot of fun. But it's also been very convicting for me personally. It's really brought me to understand that I don't always have my heart focused on what truly matters. I, I do my best to pray and to listen and to seek God, but yet the noise and the chaos and the uncertainty of the world around us, the unrest that we see, the pandemic, the rioting, the, the politics, if you want to call much of what we're seeing right now truly politics and the, the definition of what it is, uh, I think if we're all honest, our Yelp review would, for 2020 would be one out of five stars, would not recommend. None of us are really enjoying. If you're enjoying 2020, please raise your hand. See, I knew none of you would. That's okay. And if you're raising your hand at home, we do have counseling hours. I just have to meet you outdoors. So just let us know. We can do that for you. But let's be honest. The chaos, the difficulty, it makes it hard to focus on God, doesn't it? And so oftentimes when we're afraid, when we're stressed out, we tend to focus on the wrong things. We get distracted or derailed or even distraught at times in our faith and in our lives. And I, I struggle with that. I'm sure some of you feel the same way. And in a church that prides itself on being a church where disciples are making disciples, in a church that has declared 2020 to be the year where we focus on how we can be servants for Jesus Christ, it's really difficult sometimes to listen to God with all the noise and the doom scrolling where you just keep going down your social media or your news feed and it gets worse and worse. I mean, you've probably seen the memes where they have the guy with the, the, the whiteboard and he says, okay, who had dual hurricanes hitting the coast for, for August 2020? How many of us predicted we'd have two hurricanes hitting at once in 2020? It's difficult. How do we share our faith? How do we share the light of Christ? in these circumstances? What does it look like? What are the struggles? What do we focus on? What is the practical nature of how we do that, that we would call other people to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? That's what we're going to look at today in this parable, a familiar one, the parable of the lamp. And as we learned last week in our parable, that we are called to sow seeds and that it's not that the seed, it's not the gospel that's the problem. The sower is God who works through us by his Holy Spirit. So we are called to be sowers and to share the gospel in our lives. But it was about the soils, about the heart circumstances that determined whether faith grows in the heart of a person. We learned about that last week. And as we share about this idea today of the light, we're going to take a look at how we share the gospel, how we sow those seeds, how we are lights in the darkness, as I'm sure if you've ever been in church, you've heard, we're going to look at that today. How do we bear the light? How do we keep our hearts focused on, what's matter, on what matters? How do we listen to God's spirit, learn from God's word in the midst of the darkness and the noise and the chaos and the uncertainty? How do we do that? 
How do we, get, how do we avoid being sucked in by, by all the crazy, broken, desperate stuff here in 2020 to be God's people? Let's open up this morning to Luke chapter 8, verses 16 through 20, and we're going to learn what it means to share the light of Christ, to keep our hearts centered on Christ, and to listen to Christ in the midst of this time. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a basket or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see its light. For nothing is concealed that won't be revealed, and nothing hidden that won't be made known and brought to light. Therefore, take care of how you listen. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken away from him. Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not meet with him because of the crowd. He was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. But he replied to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the word of God. This is God's holy word. This is an interesting passage of scripture. So as we look at this today, you may be wondering, what this is all about. Jesus gives them a very brief parable, and then there's this extra little bit on the end, this story about Jesus's family coming to meet with him. And so we're going to see how Jesus here pulls aside his disciples. He shares his story about the lamp, and as he shared about the parable of the sower, he pulls aside his, his students, but the disciples and some of the others, he says, okay, here, catch this. This is how this works. This is right after the parable of the sower, chronologically, from what we know of what is recorded in the Gospels. He has this first parable, the parable of the sower. Then he has this next one he shares about this lamp. And so when you're looking at this, there's a question that immediately should come in your mind based on this passage. And it's a question where Jesus is telling them, be careful how you listen. So how well do you and do I listen? How well do you listen? Now, in my own life, I can tell you that I don't listen very well. I am not particularly good at listening naturally. I have worked a great many years. I've actually taken courses and studied since I'm a pastor, and I counsel people what we call active listening. This is the idea of being present and heart and mind in a situation. And I think listening in our world today is at an all-time low. I will only tell you about my life and why I think listening is at an all-time low, because I'm not going to tell you, you can you know, be judged and guilty and feel horrible on your own. I'm just going to tell you why I feel horrible. It's just, is that good? We're Presbyterians. There has to be a little doom and gloom, right? Just a little, okay? I have been accused a time or two of being sucked into my phone or my iPad. People accuse me of never being disconnected. Not that I'm preaching from an iPad right now, mind you. That, you know, I'm never being disconnected. I can't use my phone. Actually, if you're watching on the live stream, the main camera you watch on is actually my cell phone. So I can't take a phone call during church, which is just the way it is. But I'm always on my phone. I'm always on my, my iPad or my, my Surface or one of my doodads reading or learning or watching YouTube. I love to learn. So I'm always learning. I'm reading blogs. I do a lot of mindless entertainment like everyone else. I probably do less than most people. I, in fact, I know I do, but I'm reading something all the time or learning something all the time, something nerdy, something strange, something in the news. And I've been accused a time or two of being like one of my favorite characters in the movies, Bob Parr, Mr. Incredible. Do you guys know the movie The Incredibles? 
If you didn't know, that's like one of my favorite movies, and probably is my favorite movie. I just, there's something about it that's just so Americana and fun. I just love that movie. And Bob's at the house, and they're having the meal, and the kids are going crazy, and they're fighting, and they're using their superpowers because they're a family of superheroes. And Bob, like any true dad, is sitting there with the paper, and he's like, yeah, honey, mm-hmm, oh, sounds good. And she's like, no, no, Bob, that's bad. That's bad, and he's not even paying attention. If you're a dad or a mom and you have done that, have you ever, am I the only one that's ever done this? Just glazed out. And somebody says, hey, the building's on fire. And you're like, oh, that sounds interesting. You know, you don't hear any of it. We don't listen naturally as people nearly as well as we think we do. In fact, we design ways not to listen. We think it's all about technology, and in some sense that's true, but technology that maybe peaked in the 1500s forward. Anybody ever seen the pictures of the New York subway cars in the early 1900s where everyone has a newspaper up? It's not just electronic or digital technology. We're really good at finding ways not to listen and to distract ourselves because it's our natural bent as people. It's naturally what we do. And I've been guilty of being a poor listener. And perhaps that's why God in his word constantly is commanding us, mandating us to listen, just as Jesus is instructing his disciples, as we'll see here. I took a quick check in God's word. The Bible tells us we all need to listen to others around us, yes, but particularly to God if he's first in our life. In fact, you can find 75 scriptures without even looking that deeply that directly are commanding you that you need to be listening to God and paying attention to what's happening in the world around you, but particularly to God who made the whole world. That's just who he is. In the Old Testament, leaders and prophets time and time again are calling the people of God, hear, O Israel. How many times, if you read in the Old Testament, do you find that phrase? You find it a lot in the In the Psalms, David's constantly saying, God, help me to hear, help me to listen. Even in the Mount of Transfiguration, we see this in the Bible, the book book of Hebrews. But I love in the Mount of Transfiguration when God the Father finally gets annoyed from heaven and like thunder, you know, he, he shouts out, he goes, this is my son, I love him. Hey, pay attention to him. Even Jesus' closest friends, his beloved disciples, Peter, James, and John struggled, his best friends struggled to listen to him. It's part of our sinful human nature. Last week, the parable of the sower, the soils, all the soils that are described, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, the the trodden path, the beaten down path where the seed couldn't penetrate. That's all about hard aspects where things divide, distract, and destroy God's truth, God's word going out to penetrate our hearts, and we don't listen. It's a spiritual state regarding from the fall of mankind, our, our sinfulness. We're explicitly commanded to listen, and yet in our sinfulness, we don't do it very well. The noises, the temptations, the other things, the wants, sometimes even the needs in our perspective. I need to focus on this. I don't have time for that. I'm not going to do my devotions today. I'll catch up with it later. It's what we do. It's what we do. Jesus picks up right after the parable of the sower and says, hey, and by the way, this whole heart penetration, life-changing stuff, it's about listening. And yet we know not everyone there understood because we know he's talking directly to his disciples and yet Judas is there. Judas, he never really listened. He never really heard it. 
in a way that it penetrated his life. It was never truly received in the depths of his being. So we learn a spiritual reality from God's word about God's plan for redemption here. God is always calling us as broken people. He's always calling us to listen and to faithfully respond, to respond faithfully to the truth that he declares in his life, in our lives, by his word, by his spirit. And those two will always be the same. Be very wary of someone that tells you, well, the Holy Spirit said this, this, and this to me. God's still speaking, and it says this, this, and this. If that contradicts what God clearly teaches in Scripture, that's not God's spirit. There are dozens of places in Scripture that confirm this to us. So when someone says, God told me to do X, Y, and Z, and you know in the Bible that that is contradictory, that is not compatible, that's not truly someone hearing God's spirit. But God here says he will guide us by his power. He will guide us by his truth. And he's going to call us to belong to him. And he's going to fill us and equip us so that we hear him and can respond to him. And that's the point of what Jesus is teaching them this morning. He wants us to listen to him and to respond faithfully. That's what he's looking for, to be full of faith, to be filled up like faith that's poured into us. And Jesus talks about this here in this passage with the analogy, a simple story of a lamp. He talks about that as well in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. He talks about this idea, lamps in the Bible, we learn about them. And the lamps in the Bible they're talking about, they're they're lamps that are um, different from what we have today. So we all know this idea of being a light in the darkness. If you grew up in church in Sunday school, you know, you had the song, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to. Okay, somebody here went to Sunday school at least, not just me, or, or to VBS. I got kicked out of VBS once. I need to talk to Wendy Joe about that so she understands how much that scars an adult, particularly a pastor. But let's just talk about, you know, so if you grew up in, in church, you probably learned hide it under a bushel, no. A big basket, you don't put it over a lamp. You're going to let it, you're going to let it shine. So we're going to talk about that this morning and about this idea of lamps. Interestingly, as I was studying for this passage this week, I looked at uh, people like Dr. John MacArthur, Dr. D.A. Carson, some, some good theologians and, and preachers, and they talked about that a lot of times lamps are just, they were so common in that world because they needed them. It's funny, we carry a light on our, uh, you know, we have a flashlight on our phones, most of us now. We haven't really become less dependent on lamps, we just have different kinds of lamps. Isn't that weird? But back then, they had all these lamps everywhere because, they, you know, there was no electricity, nothing like that, and they were, of course, oil lamps, and we'll talk about that But in archaeological digs, both these scholars note that one of the things that seems to survive the most are lamps. For whatever reason, they survive the most. So here I have, this is actually a a lamp from biblical times. It's it's a a pottery lamp. Dr. David Wyrick, our pastor emeritus, gave me this lamp, which I'm very happy to have. It's one of my prized possessions, actually. Pretty cool, right? Right? So this is what, this is, this is a, the real deal. This is something like archaeological kind of a thing. So they would put the oil in here, and then this is where the smoke had come out of the end, and they would have a wick that would either be weighted or float in there that they would light, and it would draw like a tiki torch, you know, it would just draw the oil out, and it would burn, and there would be some smoke that came out. And often they weren't this small. This is like a couple. You'd have a few of these little ones on a desk somewhere to light up. But they had big ones with handles that they carried around with them. So they'd have light. Remember, we did the parable of the ten virgins, and they you know, didn't have enough oil for their lamps. Do you remember this? Their torches? They had lamps that were up on big poles, but they still had oil 
like this. So this idea of this, that you would fill it up with oil and that would last you through and the wick would float in there. And of course, what you would do with such a lamp is you would put it as high up in the space as you could so it would project its light out as much as possible. This is true for us in our world technologically today with all the upgrades we've made here in the worship center technologically. You can't see, but there's a row of antennas up here above me and a row of antennas where the projector used to be to get the radio antennas up high so that they don't have any obstruction and their signals can go as, as far as they can go in the room so we can use them in here or even tonight we're going to use them from outdoors for our outdoor worship service tonight at 6 p.m. when we have our outdoor worship service and you're all, of course, invited to come to that. It's going to be a lot of fun, the Lord's Supper. It's only a five-minute message, so way better than this, right? But they would put those lamps on a shelf or on a pole or on something high up in the room so that the light would radiate as far as possible. This makes sense. We all understand this. And this idea here of the light is if you would put a bushel over it or a basket over it, those of you who are science experts, what would happen to that light? It'd be hidden, but would the lamp stay lit? If it was tightly enough woven or pitched, you know, sealed basket, what would run out underneath the basket? The oxygen would run out, and what would happen to the flame? See, we always take this song, if you learned it in Sunday school, we always take this idea to be that you just wouldn't see the light, it would still be there. But what we're hearing here, and think about this in terms of just, we have just done the parable of the soils. Think about that, we've just done those, that other parable. It's not that you can't see the light, it's that the light doesn't really stay lit. It's extinguished. It's not true and lasting faith. See, we don't believe as Presbyterians that once you have your faith, you lose it. But we do believe that there are sometimes folks that may think that they've come to faith and really haven't counted the cost and Christ hasn't really captivated their heart and soul. Maybe it's an emotional reaction. I had a girl in my youth ministry once, and she came to Christ. She said it had a powerful thing. We went to one of those uh, kind of retreat, kind of crazy fun youth things, and she was sure she'd come to faith. And then a couple months, a couple weeks went by, and then a couple months, and Things weren't really changing, and she wasn't really serious, and she basically bailed out, and we didn't see her for a while. And we did youth ministry with kids off the street. Kids would come and go, and we tried really hard to keep in contact with them. This was before the age of Snapchat and, and FaceSnap or whatever else they have. I don't even know, like, some of the stuff. But when we tried to connect, and suddenly this girl came back, and she had actually had a different experience where she had come to know Christ, where Christ had captivated her life. And she came back and said, I'm so sorry. I thought I knew what it was to be a Christian, but now I understand. And she still is, you know, she, she's still a Christ follower now and a mom and, and all kinds of good stuff have happened in her life. But it's just amazing to us that sometimes we can have a quick reaction, like that parable of the soils, an emotional reaction. And yet in this passage, we understand that coming to faith, it's a continual thing where that fire keeps burning, that light keeps shining through the good, through the bad. And we want to be those that bear the light. So what does that look like in our life today? What does that look like? Verse 16, no one, after lighting a lamp, as we said, covers it with a basket or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see its light. And the word there, skuei, that word there in the Greek, that's the word for vessel or for container. Now, you may think if you put a lamp under a bed, it's going to set the bed on fire and we're all going to burn to death, but their beds were different than our beds. They did not have like a Serta, Craftmatic two super duper bed. Their beds were more like rattan and wood and stuff and they were mats they would put out and then put away 
after they got up from sleeping on the floor. So, you know, if there was a space underneath there, you put the lamp under there, it just wouldn't have enough air, it would go out. And if it's down low, are you going to see the light? No, it's going to go out. If you put it under a basket, it's going to go out. And he's saying, no, this container that bears the light. And here Jesus is using an analogy, just as a lamp, just as a lamp like this would have oil that you would have to pour in it, your vessel, your life, your soul, bears the Holy Spirit. And when you come to life in Christ, God's Spirit enters into you and he never, ever lets you go. You can try to get away, and people certainly do, but it doesn't work because no height nor depth, no principality nor power, nothing can separate you from the love of God that you have through Christ Jesus. So once you belong to God, he's going to hold on to you, and you are a vessel, a container. You are a temple for the Holy Spirit. I could give you 10 places in Scripture. We don't have time to talk about that right now. But you're a vessel for the Spirit, much like a lamp would hold the oil. And so our purpose, much like a lamp, is then to shine that light, that spiritual fire, that light in the darkness, that truth in the midst of falsehood, that calm in the midst of chaos, that peace in the midst of uncertainty. Our job as Christians is to bear that light to the world around us. What we hear, what we proclaim, this is what we are supposed to do. And God here, he, he tells us to do this. In fact, Matthew 10, 27. What I tell you in the dark, Jesus tells his disciples. He says, speak it in the light. What I'm telling you in secret, tell everybody, proclaim it publicly. What you hear in a whisper, what God's spirit in that still, small voice tells you, proclaim it, shout it out from the housetops, on top of the house. Get up on the roof and shout it for everyone. What we hear, when we hear it from God's spirit, when we hear, then we proclaim. We are to shout it out from the housetops. We're supposed to declare this. We're supposed to bear that. We share the faith as vessels, as containers of God's spirit, like that oil being poured in in a lamp that's to burn brightly. We are to proclaim Christ. We are to sow those seeds. That's our calling. That's our calling. God's people have always known this. Jesus declares it. The early church declared it. Philippians 2, verses 9 and 10. For this reason, God highly exalted him, that's Jesus Christ, and gave him the name that is above every name. Talk about shouting it. So that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And of course, then we know every tongue would confess that Christ Jesus is Lord. That's the, the rest of that passage. So think about that. We are called to exalt, to lift up, like a lamp is put up on a shelf or up on a post, not under the bed or not under a bushel. We are to proclaim, to shout from the housetops, from the rooftops, we're supposed to proclaim who Jesus Christ is. When the Pharisees and the Sadducees were around, what Jesus said, hey guys, when the time comes, when I have died, when I have risen again, I'm going to give you a command. And of course, Jesus does what? He gives us as a church the great commandment to go out and to, you know, to proclaim the truth. He says, go into all the world, to all people, every race and creed, every tongue and tribe, every nationality, everybody, and declare to shout from the housetops who he is. That's our calling. That's our purpose. It's not our politics. That doesn't call us together. It's not about our race or our bank accounts or our backgrounds or edu education, our style of music. I hope not. You guys probably would not like a lot of the music I listen to. Maybe. Any ACDC fans here? Anybody? All right, good, good people, see that? But think about it. Whether you're into ACDC or Rachmaninoff is not the point. Now, politics, that's separate from, in my mind, moral issues, because your moral issues should line up with God's word. 
That's part of being a Christian. Morality issues are clearly proclaimed in God's word, but we don't preach politics here. We talk about right and wrong and truth, and morality derives from what God says is good and right and true, not what I say. So I don't talk about that mess here. What color you are doesn't matter. It's never mattered. There's only two races on this earth, those that are in Christ and redeemed, and those who are in Adam and in their sin. We learned about that in the book of Romans. There's no other races. God doesn't declare that. He sees everyone and loves everyone that, the same. None of that matters. But here, what we learn, what we are called together to be a part of is proclaiming the light of Christ, listening to God's spirit, knowing the truth of God's word, and declaring that, shining brightly in the darkness. Shining brightly in the darkness. And here we see the rub. Here we see the rub, guys. We see that rub here in our lives. Let me see if you can get this. What I tell you in the dark, hold on, God hit the wrong button here. There we go. One more. There we go. For nothing is concealed that won't be revealed. Look what it says in verse 17. And nothing hidden that won't be made known and brought to light. Notice there what God says. Look again. Nothing is concealed that won't be revealed, and nothing hidden that won't be made known and brought to light. For us as Christians, this is really important for us to catch as those who bear the light. This week in, in Christendom, there's been a lot of stories out there about uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. and his wife Becky and a lot of bad things, moral issues that have come to light in their lives. You guys have probably seen this in the news, right? Now, whatever you think about those things, understand that if you're a Christian, that you have a responsibility to live in a way that honors Jesus Christ and that, that light is lifted on high. If you're a leader in the church, whether you're watching here today in this place or whether you're one of our leaders on the live stream, you run a ministry committee, you are a ruling elder, we're going to elect a ruling elder this morning. I'm a teaching elder. We have ruling elders. We are held to a different standard of, contact, of, of conduct in God's word, a different context for us. Who we are and how we conduct our lives. We are held to a higher standard. But all of us, as Christ bears, how we act, what we say, what we do, how we live, the choices we make, what we post, how we think about people, not even sinning in our lips, but in our hearts and minds before in our actions and in our, our lips. We'll talk more about that when we get in the book of James in a couple weeks. God says you're not going to get away with that because what's poured into your life, the oil you put in your lamp is going to show what burns brightly and shines to the world around you. Nothing that is concealed won't be revealed. Nothing is hidden that won't be made known. The light of Christ will lay bare all of our infirmities, all of our messiness, and all of our brokenness because light and darkness are a contrast. Does that make sense? Life is messy. It's broken. Sin leaves us feeling guilty. Sin, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, leads to a feeling of accusation and brokenness because in our sin we know we're condemned, but God says... There is a cure. In fact, it's what you were made for. It's what I've commanded you to do. The key point here, Luke 8, 18. Therefore, a command to us, take care how you listen. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away from him. Look at the command there. Listen. And this is listening to God and listening to his spirit. Yes, it's listening to other people. 
But it's also listening to God and responding in faith and letting God have all of you. Hear, O Israel. Listen. You remember your parents would say, listen to your mother or listen to your father? But you didn't. Sometimes until you got hurt. The reality of our lives as spiritual beings is that we struggle to listen because of our sin. But when God captivates us, when his irresistible grace gets all of us, when he transforms us, Christ will pour himself into us. The Holy Spirit will fill us and dwell within us. And that allows us to begin this messy process of becoming more the people God needs us to be. And when that happens, when that seed takes root in the soil, when that oil burns brightly in the lamp, when those things happen, we begin to become more like Christ. And when we don't, we can become the ultimate hypocrites where we look like great spiritual leaders. But it's all facade. Everybody's up in arms this week pointing at this Christian leader that fell or that Christian leader that fell. Is it any different than the Pharisees that Jesus has been going after time and time again in these parables and saying, whitewashed tombs, you are lovers of money and power and prominence. You want to sit in the best places. You're nothing about what you appear to be. We're all broken people in need of a Savior that purifies us, that our light would shine brightly and we need to listen and to heed and to seek him take care how you listen how you listen we have a call as God's people and it comes down to this we are to hear the word of God and to do the will of God that's why we exist as a church to hear the word of God and do the will of God and that starts with one thing when Christ comes when you hear the good news when you have that irresistible grace we must surrender all of ourselves to Christ and we must keep surrendering. We must keep surrendering. That's our call. And as Jesus is near home, his mother and his brothers come, and the crowd's around them, and they can't get to him. And this isn't Jesus putting down his family. They can't get to him because of the crowds. And they say, hey, your, your family's here. They're looking for you. And Jesus here isn't saying he doesn't want to see his family. He does. You know, he had a mother. He had brothers. By the way, if you grew up in the Catholic Church in the way the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church looks at Mary, big problem. Jesus has brothers described, and they're like, well, it must have been some, some other guy. Not, no, that, he, had, he had half-brothers. Mary had other kids. So that's just in the Bible. Sorry. It's there. But he had family, and they're like looking for him to visit him, and he has his entourage around him, all these people, the crowds have followed him day and night. They wanted the food he did when he fed the 5,000. They wanted to see the spectacle. They want to see him heal people, and Jesus is... He's not saying he doesn't want to see his family here. What he's saying is, in the midst of this conversation, he reminds them, he says, hey, that's not just who my family is. My family is somebody else. My family is someone different. That's what he's saying here to them. He says here, my mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the word of God. My mother and my brother." are those, his, you know, his family, the family of God, that royal priesthood, that holy nation that we want to be, they're the ones that hear and do the word and will of God. First of all, they hear the word of God. I went all the way back in the Old Testament, one of those places where you have those passages, like Hero Israel, Zephaniah chapter 3. That's in your Old Testament, folks. Zephaniah, a really interesting book. The Lord your God is in your midst, Zephaniah declares, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you. Look at what this says. With gladness, 
He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. What a beautiful picture from God's word. When you are hear the word of God, it's not just like you're, we make it out like you're sitting in school and nodding off. It's not like that. This is a spiritual battle for, you know how you're broken. I don't know how you're broken. I know how I'm broken. But that listening, that hearing to God, as we talked about at the beginning, that's where I struggle. But here, to know God's word, to hear the word of God, to hear God speaking to us, it's not just what God says, well, fine, if you're not going to listen. If you had a parent like that or a teacher like that, God is not like that. God's spirit dwells in your heart. You cannot get away. The Lord your God is in your midst. That's the promise fulfilled when Christ opens the door. The spirit dwells in us. A mighty one who might save, no, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love when you're weeping, when you're broken, when the chaos and the darkness and all the stuff we're experiencing in 2020 seems too much. He will exalt over you. He will quiet you. He will be compassionate to you like a mother singing to a child. God's spirit will quiet you, will purify you that you can shine brightly. You will hear the word of God. God's not done with you. And by that, you will be able to do the will of God. Psalm 143, a familiar one. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Remember, he will be your God. He will. May your gracious spirit, there it is again, lead me on level ground. When you feel like you're tripping, when you feel like you're falling, when you feel like everything is too much, we learn that what we're called to do is quiet our hearts and surrender to God as he glorifies and sings, as he purifies and guides, as he fills us up with his spirit like oil in a lamp that we would shine brightly. Friends, that is your call in the church of Jesus Christ. That listening is an art. If it's something we develop spiritually, it's a discipline. It's entirely something spiritual in nature that we must do to hear God, to be filled up with him and to do him. It's a lifelong endeavor. It has twists and turns and bumps in the road, but God is not done with you yet. That's what we're going to do. That's the promise. If we will give ourselves to God, even here as we close and pray here this morning, if you have not surrendered something in your life right now, maybe it's fear over everything that's going on. Maybe it's uncertainty. Maybe it's just anxiety. Whatever that is, give it to God this morning that you would be able to hear him singing and praising and calling out your name and letting you know, I love you. I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. And in fact, I'm going to show you how to do what I desire. And I'm going to lead your feet and place them onto level ground. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can be those lights who shine in the darkness. God, we thank you today that you love us so much that you call us to be your very own. Lord, I pray today that we would be more and more your people, that we would belong to you more and more this day, that we would know what it means to hear the word of God and to do the will of God, that we would know what it means that we would Shine our light brightly that we would belong to you in all we say and do. For all those things, God, that are keeping us from surrendering to you, our fears, our anxieties, Lord, our sins and our brokenness, whatever it is this day, that you would indeed pour those things out of us and fill us up with oil in our lamps, God, that you would 
Light a fire in us by your spirit that would shine brightly, that we would belong even more fully, more deeply to you, God. We even in the quiet of this moment just confess those things before you. God, for all of our anxieties, for all of our uncertainties, for all the noise and chaos around us, Lord, purify our hearts, guide our lives, trim our wicks and fill up our lamps that we would be that light in the darkness, that we would declare truth and love and joy and peace as you sing over us, as you guide us to level ground, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.